What's up, everybody, and welcome back to 4D, where we talk about our beloved Dallas Cowboys. We talk about, of course, the doomsday defense. And, of course, we talk about the draft, because who doesn't love the draft? And actually, we will slightly touch upon the draft this time. We didn't do it last time. Uh, college football, the draft, as it relates to college football as a whole, with a whole bunch of changes. But mm-hmm. I think I think the first thing we should touch upon, and and we talked we talked a little bit about what we want to talk about prior to, of course, this recording. And the first one I actually want to get into is what you brought up, Joseph. We've seen lately um, a rehashing of digs uh, online, right? There's yeah. been a lot of retouching of of PFF grades, and there's been a lot of talk about how many yards he actually gave up and look you can go to five different sites and i guarantee you'll probably have five different numbers right um part of that is because we as we have learned with pff one of the things they do is they'll they'll do one of two things if a player is closest to the ball in let's say a specific coverage they will actually assign whoever was closest to that person the receiver with a statistic against them or for them Right. Mm-hmm. Conversely, with the other thing they will do is if the player lines up across from somebody mm-hmm. and that player, let's say Diggs lines up across from, let's just say Amari Cooper and Amari Cooper breaks to the center of the field and Diggs actually has his assignment is the flat or, or you know, something or, or going down the sideline in a zone coverage and Amari catches the ball, they'll actually assign that to Diggs. Yeah. Right. Because so he lined up against them at the start. Because of the he, play. right. He lined up at the start of the play, and that's how they'll assign it. So there's, there's some wonkiness with the yardage, and there's some wonkiness with the way they do their grades. And they also don't like to assign responsibility to the safeties for yardage. Right. PFF does not because they're like, oh, we don't know the scheme. We can't, we don't want to guess at it. So it all goes to the cornerback. Which, like, which is hilarious because yeah. it's the same argument for the cornerback if you don't know the scheme. Yeah, so exactly. you wanted to touch upon this a little further. Yeah. So my issues with this, you know, some people, you still get it all the time. You, you, you mentioned Diggs about, and it's because Micah Parsons came out and Micah Parsons said that he and Diggs, he wants him and Diggs want to be the best tandem, defensive tandem in the NFL. Mike Parsons also said that he felt Diggs was the defensive player of the year last year. He said that Diggs is the best player in the league and the defensive player in the league. Whether you agree with that or not, whatever, um, that's Micah Parsons' opinion. Um, he's supporting his teammate. Good on him. Um, but people are going crazy. Oh, Diggs is trash. Diggs is horrible. And it's like, stop relying on PFF, one, especially PFF grades. If that's your entire argument, you, you're, you're failed right there if your entire argument is PFF graves. But then also, like you mentioned, the yards allowed. Everybody goes yards allowed. Yeah, he's number one in yards allowed. You know, I mean, it happens. But like you said, if you go to five different sites, you're going to get five different totals. PFF is the only site that had him giving up over a 1,000 yards. Um, I can go into whole details about how insignificant yards allowed is, but that's a topic for a different uh, another day. What I wanted to get into is why a stat that, shows why PFFs fail so hard in grading and evaluating digs. And one of the main things that PFF does in their grades and their evaluations is separation. 
yards and separation. How far away, how, how much did the wide receiver separate from the cornerback? And a cornerback like Diggs, who plays a lot of trail technique and who tries to bait um, receivers, I mean, quarterbacks to throw to receivers like, hey, that receiver's open. You know, they're going to get dinged very poorly in PFF because of that. Now, a stat that shows that unbelievably well is a stat called CPOE. It stands for completion percentage over expected. Now, what that means is they have some formula, and it's made up by people who know math a lot better than me, but it's a formula for every pass. What is the percentage that that pass should be completed, or what do they expect? that? How, how often do they expect that pass to be completed? So say a 15-yard dig route with the cornerback in this position or this far separation what do they, how often, what is the percentage they expect the quarterback to complete that pass? So the higher, with completion percentage over expected, the higher the number means that that pass is being completed higher than expected. The lower the number means that the pass is being completed less than it is expected, like on average, just putting your mind on, on average. Diggs was number one in the entire league with a negative 20.4% completion of overexpected. Now, what does that tell you? That tells you that when the quarterback was going to pass the ball, that the expected completion percentage was a whole lot higher than actually took place. Now, why? Well, because Diggs was baiting. Diggs was in trail technique. So when the quarterback released that ball, the stats said that should be completed X amount of uh, percentage of time. However, it was negative 20.4% completed less when Diggs was in coverage because he made up that ground and either intercepted the ball or knocked it down. Number one in interceptions, number two in the league in pass breakups because he's baiting quarterback daring a quarterback to throw. Now that will grade very poorly in PFF because they're like, oh, well, he gave up all these yards of separation during the route. Who cares if he makes it up? And who cares if his completion percentage over expected is number one in the league at negative 20.4. Yep. So I, I, I want to stress that to people and understand how important that stat is for quarterbacks and cornerbacks or anybody in coverage saying the average person, it is expected to be completed this percentage of time. I am making it completed a whole lot less because I'm in tight coverage and I'm not letting that ball get completed. And, and that's what I really, really wanted to stress about why that system is flawed in evaluating a cornerback such as Diggs. So, Look, it, the the other there's another stat too that I kind of wanted to touch touch upon. It's uh, DA dot right, which is yes. average depth, right? Depth of target essentially. Yes. Now, if you look at the 2020, and the reason I'm not going 2021 because Ramsey was absolutely a monster last year in this, mm -hmm. but if you look at 2020 for Jalen Ramsey, 
Actually, if you look at his career up to last year, his lowest was last, in 2020 at 10.5 yards, right? Average depth. Mm-hmm. That is fantastic. Considering this year was absolutely beastly at 8.4, just two more yards is an absolute monster stat, right? Yeah. If you look at Trayvon Diggs, right? He had a 10.4. So what you're seeing is, is you're not giving up a lot of average depth either, mm-hmm. right? To your point, a lot of that is, is because you trail, you're playing a specific style, mm-hmm. right? And so you're seeing the yak. But if you add the yak, just using, uh, I use pro football reference, by the way, mm-hmm. he only had 100 extra yards of yak from Ramsey this last year. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so you're not, people want to, and only a hundred yards on, on catch. So, and that's using PFR, mind you. Okay. Again, to the PFF, you know, mass yards thing, all of that. So, so what this is showing you is that understanding a, the style of play that Diggs plays, understanding the more nuance analytic or data to show he doesn't get burnt. He doesn't get beat. You know, he had a, what, a, almost a 50% completion percentage against him. The, yeah. the ratings against him were super low, mm-hmm. right? Like, if, if you're looking at yardage from one website as, or, or some grade that, that really nobody really knows how they actually get there, yeah. right? Other than them, it's proprietary, right? It's subjective, yeah. I, I would look further. And because you're not doing yourself a service when you're spitting out, oh, well, he PFF graded him at this and PFF had him at this. Well, go look at other sites. Go go look deeper into the statistics and you'll find Diggs is is probably better than you realize. The problem um, is, is that people use PFF to fit their narrative. Our good friend, not to be trite, at not to be trite, has said it very, has, has put it out there and he's correct. That people only use PFF when it fits their narrative. If PFF said that Diggs was great, nobody would look at PFF for Diggs. They would look at some other stat or some other. They would they would try to find some other thing to make as this big deal, just like they're doing with yards allowed. Mm-hmm. When have you ever heard about grading a wide receiver based on yard? I mean, a quarterback based on yards allowed. It is the is one of the most insignificant stats for a quarterback. Because legit, one play of eighty yards against him could be yeah. two third a third of his yardage for eight games, right? And, like, and you know what? And two plays, two very big plays: the one against New England, the seventy-yard bomb uh, that Diggs was playing trail underneath with safety help over the top. With K and he let KZ go for it because KZ had the self safety help over the top. KZ whiffed, turned into a 70 yard touchdown. They gave that to Diggs. And then the Saints play with like two minutes left in the game. They're up by like 17. And we're playing soft coverage. I think it was Harris catches a screen and breaks like seven tackles, none of them which are Diggs. And goes 70 something yards to the house for a touchdown, but Diggs was lined up over him at the snap. 
So Diggs is counted. All those yards are counted against Diggs. And look, the, the way we got this with the PFF lining up across is because they said so. Yeah, they admitted it. Like they they that's they they said so. Uh, one of their podcasts or something actually said that that's kind of what they look at because they can't know the scheme, which is great. Like, look, you know, we study this and we we look at our teams and we all do this on any team you watch. And there's still a lot of times you don't know what the actual play color was, the coverage. You have ideas based on what you're seeing, but you don't really know because you're not in the huddle. You do your best guess, right? Yeah. But but they are legitimately saying, since we don't know, this is how we're going to grade and, st- and add a statistic. Yeah, look, I'll just end it right here. Like, this is what I'll, uh, how, how I'll end it. I tweeted this out. Um for quarterbacks with at least 60 targets, just a random target, and uh, you know, if you're getting less than 60 targets thrown at you, you're probably not the quarterback one. You're probably playing sparingly, or you're just not playing that uh, that much. Um, so completion percentage, he Diggs was at 52.4 percent. Um, that's 12th best in the league. CPOE, which is more accurate, that's what I was talking about earlier, is uh, completion percentage over expected. Number one in the league at negative 20.4 yards. According to PFR, pro football reference, he gave up a 907 yards, which was the most in the league. Quarterback rating, 55.8 quarterback rating allowed, fourth best in the league. Interceptions, we know 11, number one in the league. Pass breakups, 21, number two in the league. Expected points allowed per, uh, expected points allowed. Number one in the league at negative 63.5. Negative 63.5 expected points allowed. That's insane. That's that's a, hey, guess what? You wanted the cornerback who can sit on an island? You have one. Yeah. That's what that is. So, but sure, <laughs> tell me a guy who leads the league in interceptions, number two in the league in pass breakups, leads the league in completion percentage over expected allowed, and leads the league in expect uh, um, uh, earned points allowed. At, at it's number one in the league. But yeah, sure. Tell me, yards allowed is the most important stat out there. Sure. It's it's all narrative. We we see look, and it happens with every player on every team. There's always narrative, right? Some of the narrative is true. Like, look, yeah. there there sometimes the narratives are true. You know, it's it just is what it is. But in this case one piece of the narrative doesn't fit the rest of yeah. the the picture right and so I'm not, I'm not saying Diggs is 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 Deion Sanders I'm not saying that he's the perfect shutdown corner and he never gets beat he got beat he got beat quite uh, a few times last year he got beat in in the Arizona game by AJ Green on double move he got beat by um Patrick and Denver over the top he got mossed so to speak by Cam Sims in Washington that one play. He was in great position. He just got out jumped. You know, it happens. So, like, quarterbacks in the league today with the rules, you are not going to have a perfect shutdown quarterback. It's impossible. You can't. But Especially Diggs, with the scheming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Diggs is a top cornerback in this league, uh, top five easily. And, you know, he's, and he's only in his second year. He's only going into his third year, and he's only going to get better. Yeah, it, you know, and, and now to your point, you know, teams are starting to scheme more than they're just like line up and beat the guy across from me. Right. Like that's yeah. kind of 
like we've seen this trend happen. And part of that is because technology has caught up to a point which allows teams to literally see seconds after a play happens, mm -hmm. the evolution of the play, right? Like yep. before you had to take the pictures and send them down and, you know, you're flipping through this like, uh, like chart essentially of pictures to try to get frame by frame. And you're trying to figure things out. And, you know, now it's, Hey, I have the video at my fingertips and, Oh, they're doing this. Okay. So yeah, let's, exactly. you know, let's, let's just adjust this way and boom, we're done. Which, which brings me to, you know, we've talked about it last year. We're about to start training camp motion, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it's one of the reasons why it's hard to have a shutdown corner now yeah. because teams will send somebody in motion or motion at the snap um, to create space, to create that, that little bit of cushion that they need. Dallas, on the other hand, does not do this. No. Right. They, they don't. And, you know, they had the lowest at the snap motion when it comes to running plays in the league last year, the lowest. Right. So conversely, if you, if you go and look at the, at the, the, the graphs, right. San Francisco is up in the upper right corner, like 25% of the time on pass and run, they were essentially just in motion. Right. Like that, they were just absolutely mauling it. The Bengals were up there. Kansas city was up there. There were a lot of teams that made deep runs in the playoffs that were sitting up like towards the top in like the tens, you know, 15% ranges, you know, just way up there. Mm -hmm. You go to Dallas and you're like, not even, you know, 5% of the time were you in motion on runs and not even 10% of the time were you in motion on passing for the year. Right. That's that's abysmal. Like you're yeah. down with the Jacksonville's, the Pittsburgh's like you're down there. Right. And so you've now lost Amari Cooper. Right. Who whether you you want to whatever you think of him of taking plays off or this fabulous route runner or a weapon or not a weapon. I, it doesn't matter. You've lost a a starting player. Yes. Right. You have lost a starting player. You do not have Gallup, at least for the first two games. Minimum, minimum yeah. first two games, right? What we know, you have James Washington, who is James Washington. Like, look, I, I don't mean to bag on the guy, but he's yeah. not one of those guys. You have a rookie in Tolbert. You mm -hmm. have a second-year player who didn't get many snaps in Fajoko. You're trying to move Pollard into a more receiving role, potentially. You do not have do not have a lot of explosive playmakers on offense. You just don't like, yeah. you, you know, the guys that like the Tyree kills where you're like, that guy can get a ball anywhere on the field and score. You, you don't have a ton of those, right? Lamb and probably Pollard. And that's probably yeah. it, right? So in order to make this work, you would think the Cowboys have to go motion. Now, if you're to believe the rumors, the front office doesn't want motion. They believe it's trick plays. They don't like trick plays. They want to play cowboy football. Whether you believe the rumor or not, the fact of the matter is there is not a lot of motion on this offense. Yeah. So for you, for you, how vital is motion for you specifically? And what percentage do you think they need to be at in order to really, truly 
have the look they were the number one offense and yet they weren't using motion so imagine how um, incredible especially as the year wound down because what we saw is the offense start stalling later in the year teams were playing them differently they were playing a lot of straight up and teams were taking players out and look teams are going to try to take lamb out they're going to try to bracket them they're going to be like beat me with somebody else what percentage do you think they need to in order to make this work and do you think they can do it so, yeah, so I think motion is extremely important. I'm very big on motion. It's just, it, it's, it, it's, this is a, remember a couple of years ago when our defense was, just two years ago, really, our defense was just abysmal and it was just awful and we're so confused. And it was because deep, we were getting confused when offenses were getting us to change where our eyes needed to be. They were getting us to follow people and the ball was going the other way. That's what motion does. Motion confuses the defense where they don't players are moving around and they're trying to adjust and they're trying to see, okay, this guy's running this way. Does he have the ball? Wait, this guy's running the opposite way. Who has the ball? And it causes that slight hesitation and it allowed that has slight hesitation could allow uh, somebody to get the edge or get a step on him. And the defensive player has to weave his way through through traffic, right? The offensive player just has to get behind the quarterback. Yeah. So, you know, on a motion, or they have to step back and move sideways. A defensive player, if they move him right, you know, a cornerback will have to weave his way through the linebackers, potentially the safeties. You know, a defensive, a linebacker may have to try to get past the defensive end or, Mm -hmm. you know, a corner or a safety moving over or they like, there's there's clutter right there's yeah. trash and then uh, i mean and when we run motion we've been successful in it um if you remember back in 2019 when kellen moore first took over we went quite a bit of motion in the first part of the year and then it stopped and then it really hasn't come back and for whatever say whatever reason maybe kellen moore dumped it maybe kellen moore was like hey this is too successful i'm not going to do it I don't know. Maybe the front office came down and said, hey, we don't like that stuff. I don't know. But when we've done it, we've been successful, and we have the players to be successful in it. C.D. Lamb, he does a jet sweep very well. Move him in motion, you know, he can make some noise either getting the jet sweep or just going in motion and going out for a route. He's done that. Um, If you remember in the Chargers game, we were really worried about Joey Bosa going up against Terrence Steele, um, and one of the plays on the goal line that we did was we put Tony Pollard out wide, put him in motion, and he came across and we handed the ball off to him in kind of a jet sweep. And what happened? Steele went blocked inside, allowed Joey Bosa to go a free release. Joey Bosa, thinking that he just won the jackpot, made a V-line straight for Dak. But the problem was is that Tony Pollard had gotten all the momentum of being in motion, got the handoff, and blew right by him before Joey Bosa could react. Easy touchdown. Those are the types of misdirections that you have because Bosa's V-lining for the quarterback, he doesn't have the ability, the lateral quickness, to be able to adjust to a player like Tony Pollard going in the opposite direction and getting the handoff that quickly. So that's just some things that that – 
that motion allows your offense to do and puts the defense at a disadvantage. I honestly think you're asking percentage. I honestly think for this offense to be as successful as it was last year, 20%. That's pretty high. That's pretty high for the league, actually. I know. Um, you know, and, I, and I'm thinking probably closer to like 12 to 15% on both run and pass. Now, the other reason people go into motion is because what you're trying to see is who carries with a player, yep. right? And what that carry will do is allow you to say, are they playing man? Are they playing zone? Yep. Are they playing a shell? Like things have to shift when a player moves across the, from one side of the, of the line to the other, right? Things shift. The defense shifts, right? Because there's strong side, weak side. There's a whole bunch of stuff that happens, right? And so at pre-snap motion, pre-snap motion can also help you dictate, okay, they're in this coverage. They are playing a zone. They are playing a man. They're playing man on press on the outside, but yet it looks like the safeties are playing a, a certain shell, right? Like yeah. a certain, a certain depth or a certain shell. And when you move across things, players move up, players move back, players carry or don't carry in some mm -hmm. cases, right? So now what you've done is let's say you've moved Pollard from slot on one side and let's say they're going to play a zone. He moves over. Well, that, that slot corner may not move with him. The mm -hmm. safety may drop down because now that he's got to, he's got to pick up that responsibility the other safety shifts and that slot corner moves back, right? Like things like that happen. I'm yeah. not saying specifically a play, but I'm saying things like that happen where you'll see a guy will come down into the box because a player went from one side of the line to the other side. Yeah. Right. Uh, one side of the formation to the other side of the formation. And then you'll see a linebacker kick out or you'll see a safety drop or you'll see, you know, a small shift on, on strong side, weak side and, and how that all plays out. And, you know, then you have at the snap motion, which is what we're also talking about in, in some ways of misdirection and, you know, creating a cushion. Because, look, if I'm in motion behind the, the offensive line and I'm carrying a cornerback with me and that ball gets snapped, guess what happens? The linebackers do their job. Maybe it's come further down into the line. Guess who's got to get around that? The cornerback. Yep. If a defensive lineman was going to take an outside route and now he sees the running back in motion. Now he may have to take an inside route seeing that the blocking scheme has now changed. Right. So like there's little nuances of getting somebody in motion right at the snap that creates cushioning that yeah. creates space that creates this ability to get somebody to the ball and not have it always be contested or not yeah. have somebody right in their face as they get the ball. So I think, you know, if you can get 12 to 15% in that range, you're kind of sitting up there with some of the big boys, right? <laughs> like San Francisco's a little bit of an anomaly. And part of that's because yeah. of their quarterback. Part of that is because they Very do true. not have a quarterback, right? They have to create motion because Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to be the guy who is going to throw the back shoulder fade you know, like as, that's just not his strength. Right. But you get somebody to come on a quick in at three to five yards and they have some cushion. Okay. Yeah. He can bus drive that all day and all night.
which yeah. is what we've seen San Francisco do, right? They'll get somebody in motion, they'll create a little cushion, and boom, Garoppolo only has to throw a five-yard pattern, you know, get it out in three steps, and boom, you're off on your races. Um, so they're, I think they're a little bit of an anomaly just based on their quarterback play, um, but they've built the rest of the team to be able to, to do that. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that the Cowboys have 25% worth of talent. Like that, that, that's what they do well. And I, I don't mean not lacking of talent. I mean, the talent that can pull that off. Yeah. Um, but I do I'm, think that they can be in that 15 range and, and be really good at it. Um, you know, especially with the rookie and yeah. you, got some, you got some pieces there. I'm just looking at it from a CD Lamb perspective and somebody who's very – that guy can go in motion a lot. He's very versatile. Mm -hmm. And like you mentioned before, the defenses are going to try to key in on him and say, okay, let James Washington, let the rookie Tolbert beat me. You know, what, what can these guys beat me? Let's bracket CD Lamb and say, these guys beat me. Well, if you're run, you're moving – Lamb in motion a lot and then moving him in motion at the snap that negates a lot of that bracketing that they can do and they have to readjust for it at they, least exactly and it will allow him some space to work more so than just mm -hmm. hey you're lining up as the as the x and just go and win or at the very least pulls the safety off position exactly let's say and you, now you got jarwin going up the seam or you got Pollard coming across the opposite direction from the slot, let's say, well, right? Not Jarwin anymore, but yeah. Uh, not Jarwin, uh, Schultz, you know, hitting the seam where yeah. you got Pollard coming across in the opposite direction, yep. right? And now that that safety and that corner have to readjust for Lamb being in motion, it creates a pocket that allows a space where Stat can throw the ball. If they're just lined up, that safety is now frozen in that position and all he has to do is key on the ball right yeah. you mm -hmm. see you see pollard coming across you know to step down if mm -hmm. you see schultz in the seam you know you're gonna have to keep you're gonna have to shift in a little bit shade in so that you can shut that down if lamb's in motion and that safety's job is to bracket guess what it does it pulls that guy out of position to your point confusion where's the ball misdirection right yeah. so, um so let me ask you this and sorry if it's a little off topic i just just gonna throw it out okay. there um outside of deck the obvious obviously deck outside of deck who is your key offensive player that's got to make this offensive run well obviously lamb i mean that's the other one right because it's his first time as as kind of the real number one Right. Like we, we can say he had all these yards and all this, but like he is now the focal point of, of the passing game. Right. Like that it it has to be lamb. But I think I think there's a there's a piece where if you can involve Pollard correctly. I think he has the ability to be the home run weapon you need. He can free up some of the outside space due to it which will help the lamb and help the gallops and help the Tolberts and hope, you know, help all these guys. I think your key is the ability to use Pollard multifunctionally, which will allow lamb and Dak to be able to do what they have to do. 
but motion and and getting him involved, I think are going to be keys for this offense. Yeah, I, was, I, I think Pollard. And I get the Lamb argument. I do. The number one receiver, and I think he will be heavily you involved. You have to. Yeah, you have I, to. You have to. Right. But I'm thinking Pollard because of his versatility and using him as that X factor. Look, mm-hmm. I this call me crazy, but if the Cowboys use Pollard correctly, I can see a 1,400 yard season from him. I could buy it. Receiving buy it. and rushing. And look, even if it's and efficiently, not... efficient yeah. 1,400 yards. And look, even if you want to say Pollard, you know, maybe he can't take the beating or, you know, whatever that that case is, I think whoever you use in that role, when you pull Pollard out, will have to step up in it. Look, I if you want to use Zeke out there, because the one thing Zeke has been shown to be able to do when when he gets when he catches a screen in space, Mm -hmm. he gets a lot of hidden yards. He may not always take it to the house. Right. But he will get you a six, seven yard gain, an eight yard gain. Right. Yeah. He gains those extra things because he's so hard to bring down. Yeah. Right. Like regardless of his health, regardless of what you think of running backs, like he's just a load to bring down. Yeah. And so, you know, if you can use Pollard correctly and then spell him, use Hardy, use Zeke, use some of these rookies, use some of these guys to to replicate what you're doing with him, there's nothing to say Pollard can't get 1,500 yards. But if you're worried about durability issues, which I know some people are, yeah, you can piece together. He can have a 1,000-yard season. And guess what? I can get the rest of those yards through a combination of Zeke and Hardy and, and Tolbert. And I can do that, right? So I do not dis- deny what you're saying. I'm saying if you're one of those people listening and you're like, man, Pollard can't last that. He, he just doesn't have the dirt. I don't think, believe he has that durability due to his size or whatever you want to say. I still think you use him the same way. You just spell him more often with other players, but you're going to have to use Pollard and you're going to have to use him more than you have. No, I agree. And I'm, and and I'm trying to, I'm, I'm looking at the the ways and you're not going to rush this guy. Um, 250 times or anything like that you know um you're probably not even going to get you're probably going to maybe get to 150 rush a rushing attempt but use him as a receiver as yo use him out of the slot look give he can get seven eight hundred yards rushing like he had 700 last year like he can get up to 800 yards and if he gets another six to seven receiving yep like that's a possibility if you're using Absolutely. him as as in yep. the slot and out of the backfield more often, not just him in motion. motion, put him in motion, yeah, man. It, this guy was a slot receiver in college. He knows how to, he knows the position. Mm-hmm. So let him line up in the slot, go four wide with Pollard as one of your guys. Let him be your Debo. Yeah. I, I think he, and if he does that, he could be that X factor that takes this offense to a different level where they're like, okay, how do we stop this offense now? Yep. Yep. But look, like we're, we're talking scheming, right? And we're talking like, hey, we got these players. We got this, right? Mm-hmm. So on the opposite side of the ball, right, we've talked a lot about what they still need, right? We've talked about yeah. how they need, you know, run stuffing and they might need more pass rush and they may need this or that. One of the names connected to the Cowboys is Barr, 
right? Anthony Barr, yeah. Anthony Barr. Now, he is an outside linebacker. He is not necessarily, he's not really an edge outside linebacker. It's not what he is, right? He's not this three, four outside linebacker that you're going to get, you know, nine to 10 sacks a year. That's not, that's not what he is. So what I, I think people are thinking that he's the upgrade over LVE, right? Reed put a thing out about how LVE is a little underappreciated. And I, I believe he is when healthy, he's, he's a little underappreciated. Uh, part of that's because he played next to Jalon for so long. And, and that was just an absolute disaster, right? Mm-hmm. A dumpster fire. But yeah. does, do you think Barr really is a, that big of a step up in an upgrade? Or do you think that they should use that? They could potentially use that money elsewhere. Now, I don't know who I'm not going to throw those names out. We've talked about it. But do you think that bar is that right answer? And then what do you do with LVE, right? Because you already know Cox is going to be in there. They love Cox. He's going to be in there. You know, you're going to be bringing down, um, you know, you got Hooker and you got Curse and you got these guys who can play this kind of like hybrid you know, Mm -hmm. two linebacker situation, but really you kind of got a third and like your safety, it's this hybrid thing that they're working, right? A lot of teams are doing now. Yeah. Where, where does that leave LVE? Because I don't think, I don't think he's necessarily quote unquote bad to put, you know, where you're like, man, I need to bench that guy and put him as depth. Where, where do you seeing on that? Like, yeah, if you're, I'm I'm for bringing in Anthony Barr. I'm not for bringing in Anthony Barr as a starter. I don't think he is better than LV, and I think you're looking at the wrong position if you're if you're looking to bring in Anthony Barr. I don't think he would be an LVE replacement because you know LVE's on the the uh, the weak side. Barr is more of a strong side say uh, strong side linebacker. Um, so he's a Sam. Uh, he will be a guy who can occasionally rush the passer. He's not like, like I said, he's not like a guy who's going to come in like an outside, a three, four outside linebacker, but he can occasionally rush the passer um, and he can hold up well against the run. But that's when you're playing a traditional three linebackers, which the Cowboys do every once in a while, but they've got out of it a lot with last year with the emergence of Kirsten playing big nickel. So that's kind of the role I would see him playing is coming in and playing a Sam position. Um, if we if we go to a whenever we have a three linebacker set, which is not a ton really often. So he, I wouldn't see him getting a ton of snaps because I think LVE is a better player and uh, especially right now, especially in coverage. Anthony Barr is very very not good <laughs> at coverage, so to speak. Uh, he gets exposed, and um, he's kind of like not as bad as Jalen Smith uh, in, in coverage, but similar to Jalen, defenses will scheme to get him lined up on a running back to get he's that. He's more of that in. old school strong side. Yeah, Sean McVay that, yeah. really hurt, exposed him in a lot by being like, hey, this guy can't cover these line, these running backs. And he would scheme to pull that him out and get him to cover, and he get he get he get roasted. Um, so he's a good run defender, and he can rush the passer when needed on a blitz. So you know, LVE is going to give you better coverage. LVE, if kept 
like you said, LBE is kind of underappreciated. Our, our friend Reed wrote a great article on it. Um, if kept clean, LBE is a really good player. The problem is, and he's, if he's healthy, the problem is the Cowboys haven't been able to keep him clean. And by when I say keep him clean, I mean keep blockers off of him, keep offensive linemen off of him. Let him run free to the ball. Because if he can run free to the ball, he can run with people in the league. He can and he can chase they him down and he tackles great. They struggled doing that at the end of last season. And even Parsons was struggling yeah. staying clean. Like yeah. as great of a season as he had, there were times at the end of the season, people were like, Oh, has he hit his rookie wall? What's going on? Like, why, why, where's you know, he didn't show up on this or whatever, right? There were a couple games where you started hearing, like, yes, he's great what happened here, right? Like it wasn't that it took away from his, his great season. It was, well, what happened? Like, why, why yeah. did he not make that play that he made in this other game? And part of that is because 40 line a pound linebacker trying to block a 320 pound, uh, trying to disengage from a 320 pound offensive lineman. When urban went down, we yep. saw a lot of that. You saw it starting to change, right? Ur for, for all of the, the, People who were like, oh, man, Urban ain't getting a pass rush. And this, look, the one thing Urban absolutely did was eat blocks and keep linebackers absolutely. clean. That's absolutely. what he did. That's his job. His job wasn't to rush the passer. His job necessarily wasn't even just to stop the run. His job was to eat as much blocks as he could with his strength and allow things to happen around him. And yeah. he did it absolutely well, incredibly well. They decide to let him go. You know, now what do you got there? Yeah, I well, mean, that's why I'm excited about the rookie John Ridgeway. I know he's a fifth round pick. I get it. He probably is not going to be your week one starter. I get it. I just think this guy can develop into a what one of the. I think he is a better version of one of the most underappreciated Dallas Cowboys players in the last 20 years, and that's Nick Hayden who was probably our last good defensive tackle, one-tech defensive one tackle. Tech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And where you didn't ever show up on the stat sheet, you know, you, you never knew. Most people never even knew he, he he put Don to Jersey on game day, but the guy ate blocks like it was breakfast and allowed linebackers to run free. And that's what I need out of John Ridgeway. I need him just to get in there, be nasty, be that trash can full of dirt that's impossible to move, and eat up blocks. And if he can do that, LVE can have a really, really, really good season, and so could Micah Parsons even more. So I, I had a little bit of a, a conversation with uh, our friend Stevie, uh, Steven, yes. um, on Twitter today. And for those of you who do not follow him, it's Stevie, S-T-E-V-I-E, J-P-T-X. Um, it, right now it's, his name is Cowboys due diligence on Twitter. Um, he and I talked a little bit about this one technique issue, right? And it, so the question initially stemmed of like, which free agent do you, if you could bring one in, who would it be? Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was like JC Treader. Then we can talk about like bar or somebody else. Yeah. Right. Um, he, he was of Indominic and Sue, which is fine. Right now, yeah. Sue's 35 years old. Granted, yes. he's there, he hasn't really missed any games, but look, he's 35 years old, right? Like, uh, you know how you feel about 35 yeah, year man. olds, man. <laughs> look, man, 35, man, I, that's a that's that's old. That's old. That's in football, in the tooth. 
right? That's old in football. And, and look, whether you, you want to say it or not, odds start going up that you're going to get injured the older yes. you get. It, it, that's human life. That's just all humans, right? Even if you're quote unquote Superman, you know, like as you get older, it just happens. Bodies break down. You've taken a lot of wear and tear. So he and I were talking about it. And I was saying, he was saying, you know, if you do that, if you bring in a Sue, right? He was like, oh, we can just let Bohana go, right? And I was like, okay, but then what do you have as a one technique? And he said, well, you have Osa, Gallimore. You would have Sue, Hill, Watkins, and Ridgeway. And he's like, there's depth. Okay, look, yeah. of those, of those, only Ridgeway is really a one tech. Yeah. Right. People want to say those are, are, are Ridgeway and Bohana right now on the team. Mm-hmm. Watkins can play it. But so can Osa, yeah. You know, but they're they they're both under tech. 300 pounds. Yeah. Right. They're both under 300. Um, they are they're a little more explosive than powerful. Right. Like you're not talking. Again, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. For, for any listeners right now who maybe don't know what we're talking about specifically with tech. Can you explain the one tech versus three tech? Oh, yes. Okay. So essentially, no, no, no. So essentially each gap gets a number. Okay. Mm -hmm. On the offensive line. And the one technique is usually center guard, right? Like it's, it's usually that space right there at the very point of attack center kind of left guard, right guard, depending on how you line. Um, that space right there is, is, is your position. Your job really is to try to either penetrate that gap, which as we see um, Donald do absolutely all the time mm-hmm. and creates an, a huge havoc. But the other thing like he does is he eats blocks, yeah. right? Peels off and stops the run. He clogs the middle. You clog yeah. the hole up. You, you, you eat up at least two blocks, which is what you're hoping. You're hoping to take the center and the guard at the same time, right? Or at the very least, take the center and you're trying to chip the guard enough so that if he goes, he moves out, that it takes him offline or that the linebacker has free movement, right? Like, so so the idea here is, is that you want to hit your gap, that, that center guard gap, and eat the block, okay? Yes. Which is why when we when the other term when I just used was explosive versus powerful, right? Explosive is what you see Aaron Donald do the second he comes off that ball and he's already a step in between those two and mm-hmm. he is moving. He is he is going to get there faster than everybody else at that point that position that mo- that gap, right? Powerful are the guys that you, again, I'll use Aaron Donald, right? When you see him hit that gap and he's taking both blockers on and he's not moving. Yeah. Right. That's, that's the power, right? Or he's pushing, he's pushing that center backwards into the lap, right? That's power. Okay. Yes. You need some explosiveness, but there's, there's guys who are sometimes better at one than the other. Yes. Aaron Donald's a freak that he can do he's, both he's at an elite both. level. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like he, he is, he is the dream one technique Wrong. because essentially yeah. he's a, he's a three tech playing the one tech in a one tech body. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's insane. It's insane. Right? Like what you love, what people love about Gallimore 
right? With his step off the line and that, you know, ability to penetrate that three gap, which of course is like the guard and, and the tackle or the, you know, like that, that kind of area, right? What you see with him with do that is what Aaron Donald is doing against the biggest, baddest offensive lineman mm-hmm. on an offensive line. And he's doing it against all of them. Every yeah. player. It doesn't matter. I mean, look, Zach Martin is absolute elite. And even he, when he lines up against Aaron Donald, is like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is it, right? Like, I I gotta be perfect on this yeah. guy, right? Like, if I make a mistake, he is going to make everybody pay. Yes. Right. So so when you're looking at one techniques and, and you're looking at the guy who you need to take on that center guard position, that, that very center of the line, we have really two guys. One's a rookie fifth round pick. Look, I love Ridgeway. I like the pick. You know that you love the pick, but the fact of the matter is he's a rookie. He has the learning curve. Regardless of where he goes, he will have, he needs time to develop and end up, right? He's not going to come in there and be Aaron Donald day one. No. Could he get there? Who knows? I'd love to see it, but he's not that day one, right? Yeah. Who, Osa, Osa has some of it, but he's, I think, 295 ish. Yeah. You know, and when you get against, when you get to those really, really powerful, uh, centers and guards, they're going to move them. Mm-hmm. They, like, right. That they're, they're just going to move them. Hill and, and Gallimore, certainly not. That's not their point. Their point is not to eat blocks, right? Explosive they're quickness. Yeah. Right. Try to it's try rough. to yeah. create pressure up the middle, right? That's mm-hmm. their, their end state. Now you have Watkins. Who's a little bit like Osa in that aspect, right? Yeah. You line them up on the three, Maybe the, now there, both of those guys can eat some blocks in the three, right? Because they have enough power. They're not playing the center and the guard. They're trying to take that guard, maybe the, the right or left tackle. They're trying to kind of blow up that little, that ex, that second gap, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. One and then three, and then you have the five and the seven. And, and yeah. anyway, it, that's their thing. Their thing is to be, the run stopper as a three, when you line them up as a three, essentially, you know, that runs coming in. Guess what? I'm not going to put necessarily Hill out there. Yeah. Right. I'm going to throw Watkins in there, or I'm going to throw Osa in there because guess what? There, they will hold the point of attack. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's just me. That that's how yeah. I see it and happening, right? Like you want a little more mass, you want a little more. Let me clog this middle up. You somebody it's, with a little bit of power, right? It's just John Ridgeway. It's just Ridgeway, and, and also, uh, and well, uh, well Bahana. Bahana. But the problem with Bahana is he's a late round pick as well because mm-hmm. one techs are not highly prized like mm-hmm. a three tech. They're lower. That's why they go later in the draft. Um, but Bahana still has a lot of developing to do and. You know, didn't get a ton of playing time last year. Got a little bit. His pad level is very high. So even as a big guy, when you're you can't get your when you have your pad level high and the, those big strong offensive tackles can get their hands on your pads and it's already high, so they already got leverage on you. 
it struggles and they can move you. You've seen so, Zach Martin do it to plenty of guy, big guys exactly. who get up high and him and, look, and whoever the center is hit that shoulder and you see that defensive tackle take a step back. Yeah. That's because his pad level is way too high and they got him off balance, right? And now that, they're moving they don't it back. Have to, but they don't even have to look at if a lot of these run plays. You got to understand, they don't even have to move you back three to four yards or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got it. Martin, Martin is the expert. Of, if you want to see perfect offensive guard play, watch Zach Martin and the little slight nudges he gives and he turns, guys. Mm-hmm. He turns you, which opens up a hole for the run, the running back. Turn you through. inside or outside, depending just, on just, you just and turn, the play. Put more mm-hmm. pressure on your right shoulder that turns you, and there's the hole. Martin yep. is an expert at it, and that's why. So if you get your pad level high, like Bohana has a habit of doing, very easily not just knocked back, but very easy to turn you, mm-hmm. and then boom, there's a hole and. We've seen, we've, we, we've seen it. We've yeah. seen it. We've seen it against us numerous times. So, like, look, I'm not against Sue necessarily. Yeah. What I'm saying is if you do that, you need to keep Bohana, right? A 35-year-old yes. defensive tackle, look, he's going to give you – he's going to help you in the run. He's not the old yeah. Sue who's going to be, you know, super disruptive all the time. But he's going to be able to, to get, help you in the run. Blocks, yeah. But you, you, you cannot keep him out there consistently. And you don't have depth, right? So you, I would think you would keep Bohana and Ridgeway and let them see who's the guy, right? Yeah. Who's, who, who's that guy? Um, because look, Bohana flashed. Bohana has yeah. flashed, right? Yeah, there are does. moments where you're like, that's what we need. Yeah, That's it, right? That you did it perfectly. And then two plays later, you're like, bro, why did you stand up like that? Like, yes, why did you exactly. come out of your snap I, and get I up? Like, I like Obama, uh, Obama, uh, Bohana. I, I liked him coming out of the draft. You, if you listened to us last year when we drafted him, I I, I was very high on him uh, coming in the draft. He just he's got to develop more. And if I'm being honest, and and I, I it's this this is not recency bias, but I like Ridgeway better than him coming out of the draft. So I think you know he has to really he's going to have to work hard. He has a year in the league and a year in the weight room above Ridgeway. But I like Ridgeway's potential a lot more. Um, so we'll have to wait and see how it works out in training camp. But I'm I'm encouraged by what the potential we have there. But right now it's just it's not there. Um, so we'll have to see in training camp because right now it looks like we're gonna roll out with Gallimore and Osa, which I don't have an issue with. But just be aware, like we've been explaining, that Osa is not your prototypical one tech he is more in line of a three tech and that's what we, me and dad we've been talking about this for a while now this team like oh we've been drafting dts yeah sure but we've been drafting three techs over and over and over again threes and fives um, and hybrids and yes so if that's the thing just be just be aware that we are going to be susceptible up the hole because we don't have that prototypical one tech who's going to eat up blocks. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I, the thing I like about Bohana that he'll flash is sometimes he will flash an ability to, to be explosive, right? To yes. get that first step inside. While, while he may not always be the best at holding point, right? Because of his pad mm-hmm. level and all of that, 
he does flash some of that that explosive first step, right? Yeah. And so so he's not that he's not going to always be the again. He's going to get up high sometimes. He's going to be off balance, right? And you were saying he's got an extra year. Him and Osa, right? They got an extra year. They got this. But again, neither of them their 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 big thing is stopping the run, right? Mm-hmm. That that's not where they're at. I like the power or the explosiveness, I should say, of like Osa or mm-hmm. Bohana, but I love the strength of Ridgeway. And it's yes. two different things, right? And and absolutely you didn't you, you let go of your strength. You yeah. your strength was bent urban, Brent Urban, and you let him walk and you had no more strength. You have some explosive, but you do not have the power. And, and so I think that's I don't know. I, we'll see how they play it. We'll see what they'll do in, in training camp. Maybe they'll pick somebody up. Maybe Sue will come a couple weeks in. I don't know, but they have got to figure that out and what I'm that just, really I'm looks like. That, uh, I'm hoping that Open Ridgeway is, is that guy. He's, you know, he has that power. He has that ability. Like I've, I've said before, he has the ability to disengage from blocks the last second, grab the, grab the running back, um, played in the SEC, played top competition. Um, so I'm excited about his potential, but He's got to develop a little bit more. Got to hit the weight. You got, you know, got an NFL weight room. So it's going to take a little bit of time, but I'm thinking the halfway through the season that that he could be your your your, your starting one tech. We'll see what they do. But you, you talked about him being in the SEC, and I kind of want to touch on this before yes. we 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 got through. So so we're seeing realignments happen in college, right? And we we just saw it with USC and UCLA uh, moving to the Big Ten. You know, we already knew about Oklahoma and Texas moving to the SEC. Now we're ta- we're hearing the pack may try to encompass some other teams, maybe Boise State, um, who knows, Tulsa. I don't know, right? Fresno like State, you know. Fresno State. There's there's a whole bunch of talks of how these these conferences are going to start moving, what a potentially super conference looks like, and all of this, right? And so, how that affects the draft, I think, is going to be twofold. One, you could potentially get players who are a little more developed because they're facing better competition in these super conferences, right? Mm-hmm. Like, look, USC's best p- opponent lately has been, what, Oregon? Mm-hmm. Maybe off and on Washington. Off and on, who else? Stanford. Stanford? Like, on, it's, yeah. it's been pretty weak, right? Um. Now, guess what? They're going to roll over and they're going to play Ohio State. They're going to be playing the Michigans. They're going to be playing the Michigan States, Penn States, right? Teams that have over the last four or five years been pretty good Mm -hmm. outside of Michigan. They had one really good year, but (laughs) no, they did. I mean, you know, last year was a good year for them. Prior to that, they weren't having great years, but they're these, those teams in the, just looking at last year, were really powerful teams. Yeah. Right. And I didn't even bring up Iowa. I didn't yeah. bring up, Iowa you know, State. Iowa State, Nebraska, Wisconsin. Like, look, Quality you can points. make you can make fun of the offenses of the Big Ten, but you cannot make fun of the defenses and the size of the Big Ten. The offensive lines. Oh my god. The offensive lines. Like we all know, whenever you hear offensive line, the first one of the first conferences you will always hear is the big 10, 10. right? Like, because they're just 
built different. Like <laughs> they're just built different, right? And now you're talking SEC as well, right? So Oklahoma's going to move over. Texas is going to move over. Well, who's Oklahoma's biggest opponent lately been? TCU, Baylor, yeah, Texas, Texas. You know, yeah. so they're going to, you know, they're going to be. We're back, we're, but we're not back. Yeah, we're uh, back. <laughs> Yeah, or in fact, we're so back, we're going to go to a different conference. But, um, you know, like these are going to create now, you know, Oklahoma is going to have to play a Bama or a, or a, or a yeah. Georgia or a, you know, Florida even, right? Like teams that like you are now in a conference that you are not the only big boy. Yeah. Right. You're moving to a conference where there are other big boys who play big boy football and you're going to have to be better than you were playing the, you know, the Kansas of the world. Yeah. Look, I, Kansas is a great basketball program, but their football program, my wife's a Kansas fan. She can tell you the football program is not where it's at with them, right? Like no. it's not who they are playing a basketball. That's where they're at, but playing a football. No, 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 no. Right. So you're going to have to get up differently because if, you're going to be playing, let's say, Georgia and then Bama back-to-back. That's a hell of a lot different than playing Kansas-Kansas State back-to-back. Right? So I, I, I think we, I wanted to mention it because as we're looking, that's the first step it's going to go. The second yeah. step it's going to go is some of these other conferences. You know, look, Washington and Oregon are probably your two best teams in the pack by far at this point. Yeah. Right? Stanford's going to have to step up, right? They UCLA is gone, so they don't have to worry about UCLA coming back. They don't have to – what are you going to do? You're going to bring in Boise State? Okay, great. But what that's going to do is some of these other conferences may take step back when we look at draft talent and, and the opponents that they play, Yeah. right? Because now recruits are going to want to go to these super conferences because guess where all the TV money is going to go? Guess where all the, yeah. all of it's going to go to these, the, the powerhouses, the, the Ohio States, the Bamas, the Georgias, the USC's, the Texas, the, where do you think, how do you think that's going to work? Right. So I, I think, do you see it playing out that way on the both sides or, you know, even if it adjusts, it's going to be a couple of years, mm-hmm. right. Even if it, even if they figure it out and, you know, ACC kind of starts doing some things and you're like, all right, they, they've kind of figured out that it's Clemson and everybody else, right? Like now everybody's starting to kind of pick it up differently. Yeah. Do you see that happening or, or how do you see that playing out, especially as we start talking draft and start evaluating players? Yeah. So we got a couple of years. We could really figure this out. Um, USC and UCLA are joining in 2024. Um, they were able to get out of their contract rather quickly because uh, they've been uh, the Pac-12 had been actually trying to get them to sign and sign. They were just non-committal, non-committal, and then they were. I think like, they knew what was happening. Yeah, they knew. You know, they knew. They saw it. They saw OU and Texas. Yeah, yeah, they weren't signing. And then OU and Texas, they're going. Are they joining in 2024, or 2025? Uh, I think it's 2024. I'll look that up while you're. Yeah. While you go. So we got a couple of years to try to figure this out, and while we're doing that, you're going to have a lot of other shuffling. Uh, you mentioned the Pac-12 potentially going and finding other uh, a couple of replacements. While that's happening, the Big 12 is trying to poach some Pac-12s and destroy the Pac-12 if they can get those four teams they were targeting 
it would basically collapse the Pac-12, or if they survived, they would basically be a group of group of five team. Uh, 20, twenty twenty four, by the way, they're also twenty twenty four. So we got a couple of years to figure it out, but I think you're you're you kind of hit the nail on the head where you have these super conferences between the Big Ten and the SEC, where that's where everybody's going to want to play. All the top recruits are going to want to play. You're going to get more development um, out of those players because of, for whatever reason, uh, I mean, because they're playing against quality competition week in and week out. When you have that many teams, you're going to have that. Um, And then you're going to have these small conferences where, you know, the Pac-12, the Big 12, they're not going to be seen as these power conferences anymore or, 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 group of uh, power five or I don't even know if there will be a power five anymore or if it's just like it's hey be there's, like the, there's power a super two conference. or three yeah there's yeah. A power because what else do you because the like you said the big 12 doesn't have that much left the pac 12 doesn't have that much left and the ACC has Clemson and that's about it you know Florida when it's state all I down. guess you know Florida state I mean how Miami. it's been a while since they've been good Miami um, yeah, uh, South Carolina. If, if I mean, they can rebuild. You know, if those programs can rebuild, maybe. Right now, not really. So you got those the two power conferences where everybody, all the top recruits are going to play, and that's going to be kind of seen as like, hey, you're drafting players from those conferences. Those are going to be the top guys. And sure, you're going to you're going to have your outliers like there always are, like the guys who, uh, Jalen Tolbert who goes to South Alabama, or you know. LVE who goes to Boise State, or you're you're gonna have your outliers always, but it's gonna be weird where those outliers are now. Oh, that outlier who goes to Washington, or that outlier who goes to Oregon, or whatever. Well, see, the or pack, even the, if those days schools stay in the Pac-12, I don't know. The the Pac still has Oregon, and, and look, yes. whether whether you love or hate Oregon, the fact of the matter is Oregon has money. Oregon has yes. eyes, right? Yes. Of, of the Pac right now. Oregon has been the perennial good, like really good team yes. over the last couple of years. They, they have, right? Yes. Yeah. They won a, they won a national championship. They like they're, they've been around a minute. So they still have Oregon and they're, they can still pull some magic out of the hat, right? Like you can go and get, if you rack it up, right. You can go and get yourself, you know, Arizona or I forget all the teams are looking at, right? But like you can add some teams there and still be a a fairly powerful conference as long as Oregon doesn't leave right off the bat. Yeah. They leave all bets are off, right? Oh yeah. And and I I think the AAC is gonna have it has the potential here to jump, right? The Tulsa, the mm-hmm. Colorado. The like some teams that we've seen over the last couple of years um, start making a little bit of noise. They're going to, if they don't join a conference, their conference could be more powerful than, let's say, a Big 12. Let's, let's say the Big 12 doesn't add anybody really. Yeah. Right. I might put the AAC up against the Big 12. I may do that. I may be able to say, you know what? I can say, this is a pretty equal conference. There are two top teams by far. Yes. I mean, they saw Baylor. I get it. They saw TCU. They saw Texas Tech. Texas Tech. Baylor and TCU are so inconsistent in mm-hmm. 
they'll have a good team and then they will be for five years. Same with Oklahoma State, have right? A really good team. Yeah, same with Oklahoma State. Yeah. So Baylor and Oklahoma State, I guess, are your powerhouses in there. Maybe TCU every once in a while. Um, but maybe tech can get a year or two in there. Yeah, but are you really scared of any of those teams when you're going up against the tops of the Big Ten and the tops of the SEC? No. No. Not perennially. I mean, they may pull no. a victory here and there out, but like, yeah. they're not. They're not Texas. They're not Oklahoma. They're not Ohio State. They're not USC. They're not even. They're they're kind of like Washington State, right? Like, and I don't want to say they're like Washington State will every once in a while come at you, and you'll be like, okay, I see you, Washington State, and then you're like, okay, I guess I don't see Washington State for the next seven years. Like that's kind of how they are. Um, But I wanted to talk about it because as we're going to start looking at the draft night, not this year, but as we start looking at recruits and where they go over the next year to two years is going to change the way we look at drafts over the next three to four years. You're going going to see team, not maybe not this recruiting class, but next recruiting class, 2023 entering school in 2023 who are not just looking at schools like who are looking at USC and UCLA as a big 10 school and who are looking at Texas and Oklahoma as an SCC school because they know, okay, after my freshman year, I'm going to be in that conference. And and you're seeing it now with the NIL stuff, right? Like players are already starting to transfer to some of these schools, not just because of NIL. That's a big part of it, right? Like, so yeah. he's making five mil a year, but they're also like, hey, you're offering me five mil and you're going to the SDC and I have another three years. Yep. I'm in. Yep. Say less. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that's, that's another piece of that is we're starting to kind of see that happening. Um, but we're going to see it even more. So it's going to be very dramatic over the next year to two years Absolutely. on those recruits. Absolutely. Um, and it's just something I wanted to touch upon because, again, we talk about the draft, we talk about these players coming out, and it's going to change the way we evaluate players, I believe, at least early on in the system. Um, because we're going to be like, we already talk about how dude out of Colorado State has has not played competition level, right? Like we all, we anybody you listen to that does draft coverage talks about level of competition. That it's is almost it's why Michael Gallup dropped to the third. Exactly. Right. It that is that is an absolute l- statement that almost every person who evaluates players will use at some point yep. is level of competition. Yep. It just count it in every draft. There will be players that you will read that on. I think we're gonna see more of that at least early on and potentially long term. We'll see. Um, how this all plays out, but I, I kind of wanted to touch upon it. Um, other than that, I think that's pretty much what we wanted to cover today. Uh, yeah, that's the, that's the, that's the show today. Um, I think we touched all the bases. Nice. Nice. All right. So, um, I did get to meet my granddaughter over her FaceTime, yes. uh, for the awesome. first time today. So we're a little late on the recording today, but, um, yeah, she's okay. uh, adorable, healthy, happy mom's good. Um, she was born on the 22nd and, uh, yeah, we're, we're all super, super stoked. So, and I, and I got another one on the way. Um, so I got another one on the way I found out. Um, so I, I will not reveal that one until, uh, I am allowed to reveal, but I do have another one on the way. 
Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's been good. Um, hope everybody's staying cool in the, in the hot summer, uh, staying safe. Everybody, hopefully everybody stayed safe. Fourth of July. Yes. Uh, I've been seeing some crazy fireworks stuff going yes. on. People strapping stuff to their chest. Dude set off a, a Pikachu in his room. Oh, um, man. That, Dude, like, that one, uh, the one where it, it got into, he stored all the fireworks in his trunk and then it got into the, one of them set off into the, yeah. and fired into the trunk and set all the other fireworks yeah. off. Oh, well, man. I'll give that lady credit, though, man. She got that baby out of there fast. Dude, she did. She um, did. But that thing lit up. I, yeah. Like, why are you storing? You're shooting off fireworks, and you're going to store fireworks in an open car in your trunk. Like, what were you thinking? Like, anyway. five feet away, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand. Anyway, um, but hopefully you guys are all good. Um, where can we find you, Joseph? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at the J.A. Massey. Um, and yeah, so I will have some more written work coming out soon. I just uh, um, I've got to get everything set up, set up. So once that uh, happens, I will let everybody know where they can find that. Beautiful, beautiful. And of course, you can find me on Fanside on SportDFW.com. Um, I've worked there article came out today actually um and, or you can find me on t- the old twitter uh, at dan underscore rupert r-u-p-p-e-r-t um and you can find me there if you need anything uh remember guys stay safe it's always okay to ask for help um keep the mentals going and uh hopefully we'll catch you next week on the flip deuces <laughs> <laughs>